Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. So glad that you uh, joined us for worship today. Would you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? And we're going to keep going right where we left off. Uh, we're kind of in a tough section of 1 Corinthians as far as difficult subjects to look at. Two weeks ago, we uh, looked at a guy who was uh, in a very improper relationship in the church, and uh, Paul was scolding the church for their, uh, their inaction, them doing nothing. Um, last week, we looked at uh, Christians in conflict, uh, suing each other and uh, what God says about that and how we, uh, we have a necessity to reconcile quickly. And today, we're going to be looking at sexual immorality. So we're going to begin in uh, verse 12 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Uh, it'll be up on the screens if you want to, to follow there. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God. In your body. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the word of God. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you care about us. And then we know that, God. We know that you love us. We know that uh, you are, are working to bring about our good and your glory. And Father, we want to listen to you today. Uh, God, we want to hear from the word of God. And we want to change and transform our lives accordingly. And we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to speak and reveal truth to us today. And God, give us grace to, to yield to that truth and to obey you this morning. Father, we ask for good things from your hand, blessing from your hand today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please understand, please, please understand that I'm going to do my very best today to make this a family-friendly sermon, okay? Uh, I've been trying to do that as we've been going through 1 Corinthians. Next week, we're going to be in the same boat. I'm going to do my very best to make it a family-friendly sermon. Uh, I realize this is not man up. Uh, when we talk a man up, we're pretty much free to say what needs to be said, say it however we need to say it, uh, communicate effectively. Um, I understand that today there's men, there's women, there's children in the room, and so we're going to do our very best to make this family-friendly, okay? On the other hand, what you have to understand is I am also commissioned by God to preach the Bible, okay? And this is in the Bible, and so what my commission is is to interpret, explain, apply, and illustrate the Word of God. And there's not much of a way to do that this morning without you having some tough questions at Pizza Hut later on. So... Um, we can't skip them. Uh, we just can't, folks. We can't do it. We can't do it. Um, when I first started ministry, I did. I thought I could. Um, but I'm convinced that if I skip these passages, one day I will walk into heaven and God will smack me upside the head and he will say, what were you thinking? 
Um, we live in a sensualized, sex-saturated culture where a large percent of the population, a large percent of the population, okay? I'm not talking about a few people. I'm talking about most people are deeply damaged through sexual sin, okay? And so it's just not an option. It's just not an option to just not look at it. Um, if there was ever a culture that needed to know exactly what God says about this issue, it's us, okay? So we're going to look at it. And I want you to pray for me. You pray for me to help me to make this family friendly. And uh, at 1245, when I'm locking up the church and I know you're at Pizza Hut, I'll be praying for you as you answer the questions. All right, here we go. The Corinthians are saying basically in this verse that sex outside of marriage is not a big deal. Okay? Uh, what I want you to see, first of all, verse 12 and 13 are set up as quotations. Okay? Now, this is not in your Greek text. Uh, not that you have a Greek text. It's not in the Greek text. Um, but, but most interpreters believe that rightly we put quotation marks around a couple phrases here, okay? So, in other words, what I'm trying to tell you is, verses 12 and 13 are Paul saying, all right, you say this, I say this. You say this, I say this. Does that make sense? So, Paul is quoting them. He's saying, okay, here's what you guys are saying. You're saying, all things are lawful for me. Which there is a point of that. In the cross, we know that we're not saved by the law anymore. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But they were abusing that, and they were saying, hey, you know, we're free to do whatever we want, okay? And, and, and sexual sin is not that big a deal, okay? Paul responds, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything, okay? And certainly, certainly not all things are helpful, okay? So they're, they're kind of going back and forth here. And what the Corinthians are basically saying is that sexual morality is not that big a deal. Paul is basically saying, look, sexual morality is a big deal. Not only is it a big deal, but it is in a category by itself, okay? Now, what, what I want you to see, look at verse 18, okay? Verse 18 is going to be a key verse this morning. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, okay? So you see what Paul is doing? Paul is saying, look, your sin is not a big deal. I'm telling you, it is a big deal. And it is such a big deal that it is actually in a category by itself, okay? So that's where the rest of this sermon is going to go from. Now, first of all, we need to do some definitions. We did this two weeks ago. What is sexual morality? A basic definition of sexual morality is sexual morality is any sexual activity outside the boundary of marriage, okay? Now, I had to do this this week, so I'm just going to assume that there are other people that are that are thinking this way, but but... You're either married or you're not, okay? Now, now see, I, I know that sounds like a simple thing to say, but there's a lot of people that really are confused about that. And a lot of people will try to tweak that in one way or another. They will say, well, we're not married, but, okay? There just isn't any but there, okay? You're either married or you're not married. And any sexual activity outside of marriage is sin, okay? It's immorality, all right? So you're either married or you're not. There's no exception to that. Listen, intending to be married is not the same thing as being married. Does that make sense? You know, hey, I, I intend on being a professional football player. That does not make me a professional football player, okay? It doesn't matter if I plan to. It doesn't matter if I buy a uniform. It doesn't matter if I show up at all the games. It doesn't matter if I paint that little black stuff underneath my eyes. I am not a professional football player, okay? It doesn't matter if I intend to be or not, okay? So intending to be married is not the same thing as being married, okay? Loving somebody is not the same thing as being married. It just, it just isn't the same thing, okay? Living together, not the same thing as being married, okay? Waiting to spend the rest of your life life with someone is not the same thing as being married. 
Okay, and those are just not the same thing, okay? So, so sexual morality is any sexual activity outside of the boundaries of marriage, okay? Now, what are, what are the Corinthians saying about this? Well, he, look at the quotations here. All things are lawful for me. That's what they're saying. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. Okay, so, so interesting there. They're comparing sexual morality to our need for food. Now, you say, okay, what do food and sexual morality have to do with each other? Well, they're both appetites that we have. And let me clarify, God-given appetites, correct? I mean, that's both correct, right? We, 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 have, we have a need for food, we have a desire for food, and we also have a desire um, for, for the sexual relationship. And, and so what the Corinthians were doing was they were saying, look, this is just gratifying an appetite. It, it's just a natural thing. Basically what they were saying is, it really doesn't matter what we do with our body as long as our heart is right. You see, the body has appetites and you gratify them. It's not a big deal. But as long as my heart is right. You know what, folks? Things haven't really changed in 2,000 years. There are still people saying that same thing today. That it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. My heart is right. Okay? And Paul's going to say, no, no, no. It does matter what you do with your body. And what Paul's going to say is that you have to understand that sex is more than just a physical appetite. It's not, you don't, you don't compare it to eating, okay? It is, there, there is a spiritual and a moral and an emotional dimension to the sexual relationship. And, and, and it's not the same, okay? So what Paul is going to say is, look, the body is significant. It matters. We're going to unpack all this. I'm just kind of giving you a summary. It matters. It's a member of Christ. It's a big deal. And it's such a big deal that sexual morality is in a area, it's in a class by itself. Now, first of all, I want to make sure you understand what I mean by that. I don't mean that there are rankings of sin. Okay? That's not what I mean. That's not what Paul means. Okay? A lot of people try to do that. A lot of people try to say, well, this is a really bad sin. And this is not as bad, and this is an okay sin, and this sin down here, it doesn't really matter. You, you know why we don't want to do that? First of all, it's not true, okay? But you know what happens when people do that? Where do they put all their sins? Right down here, right? I mean, that's where, that's where you put all your sins. And you put everybody else's sins up here, okay? And, and, and that's not true at all, okay? Sin is sin. Every sin, every sin, every single one of them, every sin is unbelief in God, okay? Whenever there's a sin, that the root of that is saying, God, I don't trust you, you know? I, I, I don't value you, I don't, I don't believe in what you said, and I don't trust you, I'm going to do my way instead of your way. Okay, every sin is that, okay? So we're not saying that there are certain sins that are bad, certain sins that are not so bad. What Paul is saying is that there are certain sins that by nature are more damaging, and because of what they deal with, they're in a category by themselves, okay? So what I want to do with the rest of this message is unpack what Paul says about sexual sin as far as it being in the category by itself, okay? Number one, sexual sin has the most sacred of purposes in that it is a one flesh union, okay? I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 16. Verse 16 says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, okay? The two will become one flesh. Now, what, what is Paul doing? Well, Paul is going back and he's talking about marriage. Isn't he? Remember in Genesis chapter 2 when God uh, describes marriage? Remember what he says? He said, A man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become 
one flesh, right? And so marriage is a one flesh union, okay? God created marriage to be like no other relationship. It is a unique relationship in the eyes of God. In Matthew chapter 19, listen what God says about marriage. Matthew chapter 19 verse 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay? Now did you notice who joins together? Notice. Who was it? God. Okay? I went to a wedding yesterday. Bonnie's granddaughter got married. And uh, Jan, who's doing children's church, her son uh, got married. And uh, what happened at that wedding was something supernatural, okay? The Bible says that God joined them together, okay? God created a one flesh union. And so now when God looks at Molly and Josh, he sees them as one, okay? There's a oneness about their relationship. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, when it's talking about marriage, it talks about husbands in this way. It says in verse 28, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, okay? So the Bible says, when I love Emma, I'm actually loving myself because we are one, okay? And, and she, and if I'm loving and, and cultivating and encouraging and ministering to her, I'm ministering to myself because we are one flesh, okay? The Bible describes it that way. Verse 29 says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of, of his body. And then listen, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. There's it is, there it is again. That, that phrase... Uh, happens again and again in, in the Bible. And what it's talking about is that marriage is a unique relationship in which a husband and a wife become one emotionally, one financially, one family, one future, one life. And the sexual relationship is meant to be the physical manifestation of that oneness. The sexual relationship is meant to bond, to cement, to unite, to create a unique relationship, a closeness and an intimacy that is shared by nobody else in the world. You see, that's why marriage is unique. And God has placed sex in the middle of marriage to make it a unique relationship. And God knew marriage was going to be hard. Amen? It's hard, okay? And so God gave this gift of the sexual relationship to bond the husband and wife together continually throughout their marriage relationship, cementing them together, re- restoring, restoring unity and intimacy between the husband and the wife for life. That's the purpose of the one flesh union. So there's this big thing in marriage called one flesh in which God... God actually supernaturally joins a husband and wife together, sees them as one, creates this unique relationship, gives the sexual relationship as a physical manifestation of that, and then carries that all throughout the marriage relationship. Now, folks, it is wrong to take what is sacred. Okay, what I just described to you, it is wrong to take that and to say, well, God, we really don't care about what you've done here. We're going to go ahead and take sex out of that. And we're going to use it for what we want to use it for. Friends, it's wrong to do that. It's wrong. You're not at liberty to say, you know what? I don't want, my, I don't want the responsibility of marriage. And, and I don't want to commit to this person right now. And I don't want to promise this person anything right now. And I don't want to produce children with this person right now. And I don't want a family with this person right now. And I don't want to lead this person right now. And I don't want to submit to them. And I don't want to yield to them. And I don't want to sacrifice for them and I don't want to respect them, but I want sex. You see, that's a wrong thing. That's taking something that God made for a specific purpose and it's using it for a foul purpose. Now, for a believer, this becomes even more complicated, okay? Now, what, what I've just said applies to everybody on the planet, 
Doesn't matter if you're a believer, non-believer, Jew, Gentile, Asian, African, Australian, you know, Japanese, wherever, American. It applies to everybody. Now, for those of you who are born-again believers, okay? If you're here this morning and you've come to a point in your life where you've turned away from your sin, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this has even greater implications for you. Let me, let me describe the greater implications. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Okay, now, whoa, whoa, okay? Now, what we just talked about was that Emma and I, because we are married, are, are in a one relationship. We're in a oneness relationship, one flesh, okay? But what the Bible just told me is that because Emma and I are both born-again believers, that we are also joined as one to Jesus Christ. You see, this is a theological principle. What happens when you get saved? We've talked about this before here at Lincoln. What happens? You know what happens? You are joined spiritually to Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual union. You become a member of Christ. Okay? And by member, you know, the picture in 1 Corinthians 12 is like an arm, a leg. In other words, you're a member of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. The His people are the members. You are attached to Jesus. You're in spiritual union with Jesus. Now, now, what are the implications of this? Some glorious stuff. 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that part of this union is, as I'm joined to Jesus, okay, as I become, uh, become united to Jesus, you know what happens? My sin... Is transferred to him. Okay? All of my sin, all of my guilt, all of my filth, all of my iniquity is transferred to Jesus Christ. He takes that as I'm united to him. And then he gives me his righteousness. All of his righteous life, all of his glorious obedience to God is transferred into my account. You see, we're joined together and he takes my sin and I get his righteousness. Okay? That is a beautiful picture of what happens when we are united to Jesus Christ. Not only that, but our life is wrapped up up in Jesus. Okay? Listen to Romans chapter 6 verse 3. It says, "Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death." Notice notice how it even talks about our relation with the relationship with Jesus. It says we are baptized into Christ. Okay? Into. You, you see what into means? I put water into this cup, okay? I mean, that's, that's, that's the imagery there, is that we're joined to Jesus, baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him. You see, we share his burial now by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now listen to verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, here's the glorious part of union with Jesus Christ. The glorious part of union with Christ is that my future is tied to Jesus' future. If I am hit by a truck in a couple hours, you know what? My body will be broken and quit working, but I am not dead, my friends. I am with Jesus. Why? Because I'm joined to Him. And I'll be joined to Him forever, and someday He will raise my dead body from the grave, and He will give me a new body. He will transform it into a body like His, and I will live with Him forever and ever in eternity. That's because I am united with Him. There's a song we sing here at Lincoln called Before the Throne of God. And my favorite, favorite verse in the song says, One with himself, I cannot die. 
I cannot die. You see, that's the implication of us being joined to Jesus Christ. The Bible says we have, we have the mind of Christ now. Christ has revealed himself. He's revealed his truth to our mind. We're, we're joined to Jesus. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now look at the implication of this truth, okay? So verse 15 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And now the second part. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Now, why, why does Paul use a prostitute there? Because in Corinth, there was a temple with a thousand cult prostitutes. And it was very common for people to have casual sex with those pro- prostitutes as part of some kind of pagan worship. Okay? But the, the, the implication is to anybody who is outside of a marriage relationship. And so what, what's, what, what is he saying here? Well, I just want you to think about it. I, I, I'm just going to kind of lay it out for you. What he's saying is... You're one with Jesus, okay? So you're a member of Christ. Your body is a member of Jesus, okay? When you join yourself to someone in that kind of physical relationship, you become one with them. So do you see the implications there? He says, you're, you're dragging Jesus into this thing. That is heavy, my friends. We need to know that. We need to understand that. Because that, that, that's a heavy truth. Number two, this is a big deal because sinful or sexual sin, it has an appetite that is unmatched in intensity and drive, and it enslaves. Notice when when the Corinthians say, hey, Paul, all things are lawful for me. Do you notice what he says? He says, I will not be enslaved to anything. We all have what's called the flesh, right? You understand what I mean? We all have the flesh. We all have these sinful the sinful flesh inside of us that rears its ugly head. Even believers, we still have the flesh, right? That's why, that's why when someone hurts you, what do you want to do? You want to hurt them back, right? That's your flesh. That's why when, uh, uh, when you get angry, you want to hold the grudge. That's why when, when there's temptation, there's something in you that's drawn to that because of our flesh. Okay. Now, what Paul is saying is, is that we have to deal with our flesh in a very certain way. We, we, we can't indulge it. Okay? Romans 13 verse 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't feed it. Okay? You can't feed it. You, 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 you can't indulge it. Okay? And the reason is, when you feed your sinful desires, they don't get weaker, they get stronger. Isn't that true? Isn't that true about your flesh? Whenever you give it what it wants, it does not, it does not get weaker. It rather gets stronger. Okay? When a man gives in and looks at pornography, does, does he look at it and, and he feels bad? He's guilty. He repents and everything. But does that make him stronger against it in the future? No, it does not. It makes him weaker against it in the future. Okay? Let's say you struggle with, 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 with your weight, with, with eating. Okay? As, as most of us, probably all of us at some, at some level do. Okay? When, when you eat a Dairy Queen Blizzard, which is a good thing, it's not a bad thing, but what I'm saying is when you eat one, does that make you never want to eat one again? You know? Are you like, man, I got that out of the way. I'm glad I did that. You know, phew, never want that again. No. I, I mean, it does not. I mean, I mean the, the, the imagery I, I like to use is of a toddler, okay? A toddler and your sinful flesh are a lot alike in that they both want their way, okay? Isn't that right? And so what happens when you go into Walmart with a toddler and, and he, he throws a fit, okay, because he wants a toy, okay? You go down the toilet aisle, you pass the toilet aisle, he sees something he wants, he throws a fit. You, you know how they do, like you, normally they're not that hard to pick up, but they want, when they want to throw a fit, they can do this, this, I don't know, it's kind of a supernatural thing, this kind of, you know, thing. And all of a sudden they're like 90 pounds heavier, like you can't even get them up, you know, trying to lift them, you know. And, 
And they're just throwing a fit. They're kicking. They're screaming. And so you know what you do? Hopefully you don't do this. But if you do, you indulge them. You're like, okay, I just want you to be quiet. I don't want you, you're embarrassing me. So here's the toy. There. You know? Okay. The next time you go to Walmart, does that toddler say, you know what? I want a toy, but mom and dad were so nice last time. I just don't think I'm going to ask for anything. <laughs> not what happens. That's not what happens with your flesh either. Okay. And so Paul, Paul's saying, look, if, if you give into your flesh, it does not become less. It becomes more. Okay. And Paul says, I will not be enslaved by anything. You see, there's, there's this, there's this feeling in, in our, in our, in our culture that says, Freedom is I can do whatever I want with my body. How many of you heard this in the abortion debate? Huh? Have you heard this? Nobody else has heard this, this line coming from the news? Freedom is I ought to be able to do whatever I want with my body. Well, first of all, it's not your body, okay? And we'll get to that in a minute. But I disagree even with that principle. That's not freedom. That's not, that's not good for people to be able to do whatever you want with your body. That's not freedom. Rather, that is slavery, Okay? For, for me to always eat whatever I want, is that freedom? It's not freedom because then I'm not able to stop, okay? Not being able to stop eating is not freedom. The guy who says, I drink alcohol whenever I want, that guy's not free. He's enslaved, okay? The person who, who can't control their sexual desires, who buckles under temptation, who settles into a life of sexual sin, who, who looks at pornography over and over again, that's not freedom, my friends. That is slavery. And what Romans 6 tells us is that you're either going to be a slave to God, which is freedom, or you're going to be a slave to sin, which is slavery, okay? You see, when you're free, when you're slave to God, you know what? You're free to say no. You're free to say no to your your sinful desires. You're able to say no to your sinful desires. Number three, this is a big deal because sexual sin scars and damages like no other sin. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three through six says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one, listen, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Did you hear that? Sexual sin always wrongs somebody else. It always hurts somebody else. It always damages somebody else. Okay? As well as you. Okay, and listen to this last part. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Now, I want to be real clear today that the gospel has the power to forgive sexual sin. We're going to talk about that throughout this sermon because I don't want you to get me, get, get, I don't want you to hear me saying today that, it, that if you fall into sexual sin, that that's something God can't forgive. That is absolutely not the truth, okay? God can and will forgive sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. But I also don't want to lessen what God is saying in that he is an avenger of this, okay? And you wrong and you defraud your brother when you sin sexually. Sexual sin scars people. There's a great two two chapters in the book of Proverbs about sexual sin. Proverbs 5 and 6. A couple years ago, I preached a two-part sermon on this called Avoiding Adultery. And and I want to read you just a portion of it, okay? Verse 25 is where we're going to pick up in chapter 6. It says, do not desire her beauty. It's talking about the adulteress in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Look at verse 27 and 28. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Is that possible? Can you go scoop up your campfire and have no 
results from that. Can you do that? Can you go hug your campfire, get up, and there be no lasting implication to that? You cannot do that, okay? If you hug your campfire, you're going to get burnt. Your clothes are going to stink. Your clothes are going to be burnt. They're going to be damaged. You're going to be damaged. You're probably going to be scarred, okay? That's the picture. You, you cannot do this without scarring, okay? Verse 28, can, can you walk on hot coals and your feet not be scorched? That is not right. You can't light your barbecue grill, let the coals get nice and white and red and hot, and then get up in there, walk around a little bit, and nothing happened to your feet. You can't do that. And in the same way, you cannot commit sexual immorality, you cannot commit adultery, and not be harmed by that. Verse 29 says, So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. Man, that's a verse that we ought to have in our memory. None who touches her will go unpunished. This, this is something that, that, that hurts people, okay? Not only does it hurt people, but it's the kind of sin, this is one of these reasons it's in a category by itself, that you cannot make up for, okay? Now, please hear me out. You can be forgiven, but, but you cannot make it right, okay? Does that make sense? Let, let me give you an example here. Let's just say that, uh, let's say Fred steals my, my, my car, okay? Fred steals my car. And uh, he and Karen have just had enough. They kind of, you know, the, just all the pressures of life. They crack. And so he steals my car and he takes it joyriding, you know, at 100 mile an hour, going around the corners. It ends up in the lake, okay? It ends up in the lake and uh, they find out who did it. They arrest him. He comes to me. He says, Pastor, I'm sorry. I mean, I made a bad mistake. I'm sorry. I want you to know, I, I want your forgiveness. I want to be right with you again. And because of that, here is a brand new Corvette, Pastor. And I'm going to make this right with you. Okay. Can Fred and I be right again? Yeah, I think so. You know, I'm good with that. I believe him. He's repenting. He's, he's paid. Okay. Now listen, listen. Verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. Okay. So verse 30 says there's a scenario where people don't hate a thief. Okay. So wrong. But look, verse 31, if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold and he'll give all the goods of his house. That's just what happened, right? Fred stole my car. He comes in repentance. He apologizes and he pays me sevenfold. Okay. All right. We're probably good. You know, I see Fred in the supermarket. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Praying for you. Probably not going to lend him my car, but you know, we're still good. We're all right. Relationships restored. Okay. Is that the way it is with sexual sin? Is that the way it is with adultery? Listen. Verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious. How how are those people going to feel who who he hurt? How's that husband going to feel whose wife was violated? Jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes revenge. Listen, verse 35. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. You hear that? He will will accept no compensation. What are you going to give somebody to make up for what you've taken in sexual sin? There's nothing to give. And not just adultery, but anytime there's sexual sin, something is taken that was not yours to take. How are you going to give that back? Can you give it back? You can't give it back. How are you going to replace it? You can't replace it. See, the Bible's saying sexual sin scars and damages in a category by itself. Last point. 
Your body is for the Lord. Okay? What's your body for? Look at verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Now listen to this. But the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Okay, what's your body intended for? It is intended for Jesus, okay? A lot of times we have this view in Christianity that God doesn't care about the body. All He cares about is the soul. All He cares about is is your heart, okay? That's not true. God cares about the body. In fact, look at verse 19 and 20. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay, it is where God has chosen to dwell in the form of His Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You see, the Bible says the body is incredibly valuable to the Lord. In fact, he has purchased it, okay? God has purchased your body when he bought your soul. He got your body as well, and he has plans for your body. And in fact, the Bible says he has bought it with a price, okay? Did you notice that? It says you were bought with a price. What was the price? It was the glorious, perfect life of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he was born and and he lived a perfect life. He endured every misery, every difficulty, every trying temptation that you have had to deal with. And yet he did so without sin. Jesus Christ had it much harder than any of us have had it because he never gave in. He never caved. He never threw in the towel. He never said, that's enough, I'm giving in. He lived a perfect, righteous life toward God and toward others. And that's... That was part of the price that bought your body, your soul, and your mind in your conversion. The price was the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was pushed, shoved, punched, spat upon. He was mocked. He was falsely accused. He was whipped with a whip of bone and metal, tearing the flesh from his back. He was staked to a cross to hang there in in humility and in agony for six hours until he suffocated to death. And he did so to pay the price for your soul and your body. Jesus Christ took upon himself the filth of humanity. Your sins were placed upon Jesus so that the Father had to turn away from Christ. Christ in the cross. Jesus Christ died. He was raised again. The resurrection, the greatest display of power that the world has ever known, was the price paid for your soul and for your body. And so now Paul tells us something that, friends, we've got to believe, we've got to embrace, and that is you are not your own. There is this feeling in our culture that I can do whatever I want with my body, and that is a lie. And if you're a Christian, it is an especially terrible lie. You are not your own. Your body's bought. Now think about this. God created your body, did he not? Psalm 139 says he knit you together in your mother's womb. So first of all, he created your body. Second of all, in conversion, in salvation, he buys back your body. He redeems your sinful body and he comes to dwell by his Holy Spirit in your body. And someday after death, God will raise your body, your your corrupted, decaying body from the ground. He will raise it up and transform it into a glorious body like himself. Now, friends, you know what all those things tell me? God cares about the body. Okay? He cares about it. He cares about what you do with it. And he has plans for your body. In fact, in verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? What kind of plans does God have for your body? Well, he has made it the place where his Holy Spirit will dwell. 
It's a place of worship. Okay, your body is a place of worship. Your body is an instrument of the Holy Spirit to worship Jesus and serve Jesus and preach to the lost and minister to the hurting and provide for the needy and build spiritual friendships and take care of your families and to pray with and to soak up the scriptures and to ride mountain bikes and to enjoy the, the, the nature uh, trails at, at Bowling Springs and, and to look at the stars and to have a sexual relationship with your spouse that serves a particular purpose in, in the marriage relationship. God has plans for your body. He dwells there. It is, a, it is, a, it is something that he's going to use for his glory. And as Robert Rayburn says, we must never indulge the illusion that somehow we can walk with God with our soul and give our body to sin. That is simply not true. And what a lot of people want to do is they want to take the body away from Jesus who owns it and use it for immorality. That's sin. Let me give you an example. All of marriage is really an illustration of Jesus and the church. So as we go down in chapter 7, we'll be here next week. Um, Verse 3 of chapter 7 says, The husband should give to his wife. Well, no, let's go to 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That's marriage, by the way. Okay? That's not boyfriend and girlfriend. Let's come back. Let's not get confused about this. It's not. It's marriage. Okay? But in marriage, my body belongs to Emma. And so for me to give my body to somebody else besides Emma, what is that? It's adultery. Okay? And and, and there's something in all of us we know that is wicked. Don't you? You know that. Right? I mean, immediately, you, you, you feel that in your soul. That's wrong. Pastor, that's wrong. That's destructive. Okay. Now, if our bodies as believers, if they belong to Jesus, then to give them to immorality is what? It's the same thing. So what's the application? Verse 18. Four simple words. Ready? Flee from sexual immorality. Do you hear that? Flee. What does it mean to flee? Okay, it does not mean you you get close and you just make sure you don't go over the line. That's not what flee means. That's not that's what that's what a lot of people that's their strategy. That's their exact strategy in life. Is is I'm gonna get close, I'm gonna try to figure out where the line is. And then I'm, I'm going to get as close to that line as possible. How far can I go? That, that's, the, that's the strategy of our, our world. It's the wrong strategy. Okay? Our strategy ought to be flee. Okay? When you fl- have you ever fled from anything? Anybody ever? I mean, I mean, really, some of you probably never have, you know. But have you, have you ever? This happened to me when I was growing up. We had cattle. Have you ever been in the pen when the bull looked at you and you knew this is a bad deal? Okay? Okay, you know what you didn't do? You didn't go over and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to stand right here by you. And when you get angry, then I'm going to try to get out of the way. No, you, you, you got away from the you, you ran. Okay, that's what it means to flee. It means you got to get out of here. How many multitudes of people have thought they could get close and fell? Millions, okay? You see, again, sexual immorality, it's in a category why, by, by itself. Why? Because this is an especially difficult temptation. We got to understand that. I mean, God has, has placed a, a great desire in human beings 
for the sexual relationship. Why? For marriage. I mean, we're going to hear that again next week. It's for marriage. This is a great thing in marriage because marriage is really hard and the physical relationship in marriage helps the married couple to be close and to be intimate and to be one, okay? But if you take that same desire outside of marriage, you will not make it. You will fall. You will sin. Let me try to give you an illustration here. Uh, man, I had my kids in the last service. Uh, just need someone to shoot a gun. Who can do that? Come on up. Thank you for helping me. All I need you to do is I need you to uh, stand right here, and uh, you're going to act like you're shooting a gun. There you go. Very good. Okay. We, uh, we, we shoot guns uh, in our family because it's a couple times a year. It's not like I'm not packing now or anything. Don't worry. You know, but, uh, but we, do, we do this in our family. And, and when we do, we, let me show you what we don't do, okay? So if this is Haddon and he's up shooting his, his 22 rifle, okay? Now, 22 rifle just has a small bullet. I don't know if you know anything about guns, but it's not a shotgun. Shotgun sprays, okay? 22 has a, one small bullet that goes in a direct line, okay? And so when we shoot, let me ask you a question. Do we put Avery right here, okay? Now, let me tell you something. If she's standing right here and he's shooting the gun right there, she's not going to be hurt. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much a fact, okay? Because she, she's away from the barrel. The barrel is actually in front of her. And so she is not going to be hurt if she's standing right here. But do we have her stand here? No! Okay? That, that is idiotic, okay? We do not have her stand here. Do we have her stand two feet away? We do not. Okay. Let me tell you what happens. We got to be up here. Okay. Actually, there's not enough room. Okay. But picture us in the back here and we line the kids up in the back with mom is back here. They're back way back here. Everybody's in line. And when someone's holding the gun, nobody moves. Okay. You're not running around. You're not playing. You're standing still back here. And mom has her eye on you. And if you move, you get smacked. Okay. That's the rules. Everybody, nobody moves, okay? And then after Haddon shoots, dad comes over, takes the gun, opens the chamber, turns around and says, you can move. And then people can breathe, okay? Thank you. You can go sit down. Did I shoot it yet? Huh? Did I shoot it yet? No, you can't shoot in church. (laughs) Now listen. Listen. Why, Why do we do it that way? Even though, even though it's a fact that if she stands right here, and, and the gun's shooting that way. She's not going to get hurt. Why, why is that completely unacceptable? You know why? Because there's a lot at stake. Do you get that? There's a lot at stake. Now, here's what I'm telling you. There's a lot at stake in sexual morality. And there's, there's, a, there's a culture. There's a community. There's this place called Woodward, Oklahoma. Where you know what's happening? People are standing right here. Kids, young people are sitting right here, and their parents know it, and they know it. But, but, but I guess they're okay with it because they stood right here. Listen, let's obey the Bible. Flee sexual immorality. There's men on business trips who are standing right here. There's women who, 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 who have friendships with other guys they are standing right here. Friends, we can't do that. What does it mean to flee? Well, 
Fleeing sexual immorality means that we, we set up firm boundaries of what we will do and what we won't do. Okay? What that means is we set up firm boundaries of what we will watch, what we will look at. We're like Job in Job 31.1 where he says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I will not gaze upon a young virgin. Okay? Ladies. You know, we always talk to guys about pornography. Ladies, you, you need to make a covenant with yourself that you won't read books that describe unreal expectations of men. Okay? And here's the funny thing. There's a lot of these books that are Christian books, okay? And, you know, they describe this guy who rides in on a white horse, you know, and he's all rippled, muscled and everything, and he rides in on his white horse, you know, and he slays the enemy, and he's brave, and he's courageous, and he's hardworking, and he jumps off the horse, and he comes over, and he says, how do you feel, honey? Let's talk about your feelings, all right? There are no men like that, okay? There's not one, In the whole planet, there's not one. But you see, you read a bunch of those books, you're standing right here. Right? Because then you look over at the guy on the couch, and you're like, guy eats Doritos, scratches his gut, you know? That's a real guy, okay? The one in the book's not real, okay? Just as, as, as pornography, those aren't real women. There aren't any women like that. There aren't women that act like that. There aren't women that... They're, they're, those, those aren't real women. That's not a real relationship. That's not... We got to set firm boundaries. We got to set firm boundaries of, of conversation. What will I talk about with a woman that's not my wife? How close will I be friendship-wise with a woman that's not my wife? You know what? We've got to cultivate healthy and happy marriages with our spouse. Part of this guarding yourself here is cultivating a happy marriage. That's next week. We'll get into that next week. But, you know, we're having a couple's camp out. I don't know if you got, that got announced in the, you know, coming up May 4th and 5th. Hey, you know, you know why we're doing that? We don't know if it's going to work. It may be a disaster, you know. But you know what we want to do? We want to try everything we can at Lincoln Avenue to cultivate strong marriages. Why? Because this matters. This matters. Glorify God with your body. Why? Because you were bought with a price. Friends, aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin? Amen? We can trust Him. Let's do so. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, today's a tough message, God. Um, God, it's tough. And, and Lord, but we want to obey it. God, we don't want to fall. We we don't want our kids to fall. We don't want our friends to fall. We, God, we, we don't want to fall. And so, Lord, please protect this church. Please protect the men in this church, the women in this church, the young ladies, the young men. God, I, I pray, Father, that, that we would realize our boundaries. And, God, that we'd be wise and, and staying clear away from danger. Father, thank you for buying us. I don't know why you wanted us, God. We're, we're the worst deal ever. But God, you're so glorious and so good that you, in your love, you bought us. And so, Lord, we, we confess today we belong to you. Our bodies are yours, Lord. Help us to glorify you with our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen.